0: Welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast and my name, dear listener, is Brendan Bigley. My name's is Stephen Hilger. I like that. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much. Yeah. Uh, Stephen, you and I recently recorded a like a bonus episode that we ripped directly out of the Aether. Um, that was all about <laughs> the, the Nintendo Direct, the first big Nintendo Direct in over a year, which is pretty wild. Um, but on top of that, it's like our first like glimpse at what Nintendo has going on for like pretty much 2021, like uh, in total, uh, which was, which was exciting. And, and some people liked it. Some people didn't, which I think gets into some weird stuff. But, uh, there there were a couple things that you and I were like really over the moon about dear listener. You can go listen to that episode and hear all about it. We talked about it for way longer than I think either of us anticipated. Um, but one of the things that you and I both walked out really stoked about was project triangle strategy, which seems to be by the team behind Octopath Traveler, um, at least has the exact same vibe, I think, aesthetically. It seems like it's the same team. Yeah, but but it's more of a Final Fantasy Tactics Fire Emblem kind of thing than just like a straight up uh, turn-based JRPG. Um, and you and I have both played the demo, uh, a lot. And, uh, I want to talk about it a little bit cause man, it
1: is so my shit so quickly. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel that way too. And I think it, it's kind of serendipitous because we've recently talked about Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. Yeah, that was like and last like, week, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it was. What are the odds <laughs> of that? <laughs> and I've been like, I've been heavily encouraged to check out the first Tactics game. I've been getting really into them. So like the fact that the team have made Octopath is like, guess what? We're doing like a a love letter to that genre. And yeah. that's what that that's what the projects that that team works on feel like giant love letters to, like, I guess sort of, like, forgotten genres. It feels like there's now a team at Square that's whole job is to, like, refresh the past in an interesting way. Yeah. Just to kind of, like, retread a little bit. Um, Octopath Traveler is a game that I think means a lot to both of us because it was our first episode. And it's definitely got some big flaws, but I think that game successfully kind of put new life into- I mean- not only has it been, you know, X decades since a game like Final Fantasy VI, but the idea of a purposely retro RPG is also like so overdone mm-hmm. to the fact that they could make that game feel as fresh as it did was really marvelous. And I think what that game did so well was like, first of all, the, the art style of like having the SNES sprite characters and the sort of like Super Nintendo graphics in an environment with like 4K water and like real yeah. backgrounds. It felt like a storybook
0: yeah just like like a like a voxel world that uh had this like really strong kind of um depth of field uh it, it looked like a little toy world it was really yes. really stunning it is so it, it can't be said enough how difficult it is to make an art style <laughs> and like they fucking yeah. nailed it with that game And and i'm not surprised at all that they're like yeah we're just going to use this constantly actually
1: right um and the thing with octopath is like i thought not only did it look beautiful the soundtrack's incredible there's the art style of even just sort of the characters like on the cover and like in the game i really liked yeah and the combat was like this really it felt like just a super cut of like everything that worked in the past but like in a package that felt new so you had eight characters that each had like an assigned class And I remember when we talked about it, it was was sort of like, okay, four of the characters are very traditional, like cleric, wizard, knight, thief. And the other four were like kind of interesting twists on that, like apothecary, merchant, dancer, and beastmaster. And on top of that, like the game eventually allowed you to multi-class characters and it, it worked in a way that they were always their core class. But when you gave them an additional class, they could use those abilities as well. And as you leveled them up in that class, they would retain permanent uh, passive bonuses that you could, like, equip and unequip at your own desire. So there was so much creativity there for, like, okay, I want to make Cyrus a dancer so he gets the ability to regenerate MP every turn. But then I'm going to switch him back to Scholar Cleric so he's just, like, Master Magician Cyrus. Right. That stuff was so fucking cool and so well done. But as we've often discussed, like, that game's story, while it was fun at first, like, I enjoyed just kind of meeting all the characters and, like, the little vignettes, like, it eventually is like, oh, wow, okay, this is really not coming together. Like, the elephant in the room for that game is like, so eventually all the stories will converge right? They don't. (laughs) They don't. Yeah.
0: That's, that's kind of the weird thing about it is like, uh, I would say the, the triangle strategy of making a video game, uh, is that you got to get the mechanics right. The art's got to look good and you have to have a good story. That's very basic. I don't, I don't actually believe this, but I'm just saying it because I got to say triangle strategy. But anyway,
1: (laughs) they got two out of the three.
0: They nailed two out of the three. And the third one was so lacking at a certain point that I was like, as much as I like all these characters individually, the fact that they don't speak to one another well, yeah. In a
1: game about traveling as a as a group is like it was a wild decision. They yeah. eventually unlock like little dialogue scenes, but it's like so it, it doesn't feel meaty enough. they should just be talking the whole game. It's a little bit too late, also. I think. Yeah, it comes in like twenty hours, and it'll be like Primrose. Like we have to help the kids. It's like what? Okay. Yeah. Um. But anyway, <laughs> I bring all that up because I think that in a game like Octopath, in in a you know retro turn based combat RPG the reason you play those games is for the story. So even if you have the best combat ever, you eventually don't care anymore because you're not really working towards anything. Whereas a tactics game, even if the story of Project Triangles is eventually nothing or isn't as effective as it wants to be which I'm not saying that's the case but even if it was I think that inherently a tactics game like you're there for the battles first and foremost so yeah. I think that like already the genre I think is lending itself to this team strength mm-hmm. Um and like to pivot to to project triangles I just I think the thing that's like unanimous and like objectively true is the combat rules it is so good it's like really good this is yeah. If you like any kind of tactics game, Fire Emblem, Final Fantasy Tactics, like it really does feel like just the hits in one place again, but also (laughs) feels unique. I mean, so you had the classic kind of isometric grade and uh, the demo kind of, they they preface it by saying like, we're going to throw you into the middle of the game. It's going to be a little tough, but we think this is going to give you like the best taste of what's to offer. Yeah,
0: it's chapter Um, six specifically so like you're far in
1: I will say at first I I lost the first time I played and I was a little bit overwhelmed by how many characters I had and how different they all were Mm, Um, but all that really meant was like the second time I played I had retained the experience the characters got because they just level up from like taking their turn basically so I had a stronger sense of like okay this dude is like all about buffing the others Mm -hmm. this character um, I really liked Anna the spy because she can yes she can take two actions in one turn and then she also has a move where she turns invisible and like can't be attacked until someone like stumbles into her by accident so like just that alone i think kind of showcases the the abilities that anna has showcase this game's focus on like strategy above all else and like placement you know there's another character who can make walls of ice so like um, another mechanic too is that like Final Fantasy Tactics if you attack an enemy from the side or the back it does more damage but this game is also very interested in verticality so like a lot of attacks would be like this will do a lot of damage if you're higher up or like you have to be higher up to do this, this is a character who rides like a big owl yeah. and she's all about verticality okay <laughs> um, so I just love that I really really liked the combat and I don't think there's permadeath, so if you're, like, nervous about that, it doesn't seem like that's happening in the battles, at least. Yeah, at
0: least in the demo. At least in the demo. Yeah, there might be a thing, like, when you start the game that allows for it, but honestly, I, it seems like they're focusing so much on story this time around that I, I would be surprised if permadeath was in there, because it seems like every character kind of has a part to play.
1: Yeah, um, and so, like, that. those are the, the battles. Um, what the demo also allows you to experience is uh, the scales of conviction, which, like, look... <laughs> (laughs) You've got a thing called the Scales of Conviction in your video game that doesn't have a title yet, and you've chosen Project (laughs) Triangle Wars. There are so many titles, like, screaming to be chosen in this game. The Salt Iron Wars, the Scales of Conviction. And they're like, no, 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 for now, we're just going to call it Triangles, Um, which is amazing. And it kind of fits with the Octopath branding. But uh, anyway, the the Scales at least meant something at the end. You know? Yeah, yeah. This triangle is a little bit of a stretch here. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the scales of conviction are a moment where it seems that there's going to be these kind of big like uh beats of the story where there are big decisions to be made. And I really like how they approach it, because that's another system that has kind of become like a little bit worn out of like, okay, you can choose what happens, which is like, I always love when that's in a game but like how is it gonna feel is it the illusion of choice is right. it right like... it
0: always feels less than it, it's the equivalent right. of saying that like oh you see that mountain you can go to that mountain and climb it like yeah that's, <laughs> that's always what they said in like early open world uh like yeah. e3 presentations about things uh and and very similar as soon as like the bioware method of storytelling kind of took off every other game was trying to do that and then it ended up like not really impacting the story very much but it seems like that's as much a focus as the as the combat this time around.
1: yes yes absolutely I, so the way it works is, so the first big decision you're given is they're like, okay, the the enemy kingdom wants our prince. They're, they asked for our prince. And if we give our prince to the enemy, they will spare us, but we will be kind of giving away our prince to the enemy. So it's kind of a bummer. Uh, the <laughs> other choice is we can defend the prince, but like, we're going to get destroyed. Like everyone in the room, even the people who want to defend the prince are like, I know we don't stand a chance, but yeah. like, so... What's really cool is that rather than just saying, what do you choose? It will show you on the screen like, okay, here is everyone in your party and here are the characters who want to vote one way or the other. And then it'll also show you who's undecided. But the thing that's kind of interesting is like at first it's like, okay, the main characters, like, I'm going to go to town and talk to the villagers and like do a little research before I decide how I feel. Mm. Um, so as you investigate, like in the town, you learn a little bit more information. So someone tells you like, okay the enemy concretely wants the Prince alive. So we know they're not going to kill him. So like, that's a piece of info we can use. Right. There's some other things. And what what that does is it helps you as a player inform your own judgment, but it also literally gives you like more dialogue options to help you convince other people. So when you go back to that hall with the scales of conviction, uh, you can talk to anyone and you can try to convince them one way or the other. So What's also, I think, a brilliant choice is it doesn't tell you if you're successful. It'll tell you if you weren't, but it will be like they, you know, they will go to undecided. They won't, like, go to one or the other. And then everyone votes uh, on the scales of conviction. (laughs) And I think what's a really important choice here, and I think what makes this game... I think potentially there's going to be some really tense moments with this. Yeah. You have to go with what wins the election. It's not what you voted for. It's, it's incredible. the an incredible got the choice. Most votes. Yeah. yeah. So I think like allowing you some agency over trying to convince people means that at some point in the game, you're going to be voted against, you know, and you have to just carry on with that because you are one of many voices at the table. Such a cool design. Yeah,
0: I'm wondering if that's going to piss people off. I could, I could see that pissing people off. I am like, big into it. I'm really into it. it. And and the implication, at least from the trailer in the Nintendo Direct, was that over time the way you vote is gonna start like swaying people for or against you, and people might just, like, bail out of your party entirely yeah. if you continue to, like, go against the thing that they're into I also noticed a couple instances in which like they just have these moments where you can go around and talk to characters that aren't like big scales of conviction moments but they'll ask you a question and it's very clear that it's a scales of conviction like mini choice just for that uh, specific party member which i thought was really cool as well so you can like kind of sway things a little bit here and there in between the big moments as well um so this this really seems like more of a focus than I thought it was gonna be and I I'm very into it because when I saw it in the in the direct I was like okay that's a cool idea, but I've I've heard it all before. Like I've heard this right, before. Right. Like, how is this actually going to play out? I have a question for you, though. How did you feel about the actual, like, I guess more cinematic moments, like the the cutscenes, as it were? They don't really feel like cutscenes, but like <sighs> yeah. the, the cutscenes, like, because in the beginning, I was like, okay, I'm not really sure if this is like really working for me. It all seems very silly. A lot of the character names are like very goofy. But that said, I, I at a certain point, I was like, oh, wait, I'm six chapters into a game. I don't have any of the context for what's happening here. So, like, of, of course, this is going to feel like I just, like, uh, was late to a
1: Shakespeare uh, <laughs> rendition, you know? So here's the deal. I actually enjoy what they're doing with the story here uh, in, in kind of broad strokes. I think that they, they definitely uh, are good at sweeping you into the melodrama a little bit like and also uh just the sort of like you know the, the game of like political chess that's happening and like really making like i'm usually not into like oh these are both bad choices but i think what's interesting here is that like the choice that i made i ended up giving away the prince that is still having ramifications. Oh, you, you know, did? Like, I did, Oh, yeah. It, to me, it was very clear. I was like, I cool. don't care about Roland at all. And like... <laughs> well, that's a bit harsh. I, I just thought, thought he was like, a good unit on the battlefield. <laughs> but there you go. I mean, the, the fact that we could have those different angles on it, triangles, yeah. if you will, um, <laughs> is really fascinating. I mean, I... And it was like, you know, like only the girl with pink hair voted to keep Roland. Everyone voted to get rid of the guy. Uh, and... <laughs> what ended up do you mind if I tell you what ended up what no up please happening? no I, I would love to know so when you give up Roland and I also I went for that because Roland also wanted to do that he's like it's my role to protect the people of this kingdom yeah like if I stay here like they are the ones who are going to suffer like the people in this town they will be the ones who are killed and lose their homes because I didn't give myself up so he gives himself up to Gustadolf, Uh <laughs> and uh, Gustadolf I think is like trying to marry his sister so like he has already publicly beheaded the father of these two. Yeah. And now he is, he, you know, enters the throne room, and Gustadolf is like, okay, uh, here's what I need you to do. I need you to write this order, like, in your hand and your ink. I need you to order that, um, the the three houses of the uh, kingdom that the heroes are on, two of them are bent knee and one is resisting. So he's like, I need you to Carry out the order that House will fort The heroes will like attack the kingdom that is still loyal, yeah, uh, to themselves. So the prince has to carry that out, and then uh the heroes go there and ho- hoping they can talk it out. They're like, okay, they get the order. They're like, we need to pretend we're doing this, but let's meet up with the other house and like try to work together. Of course, it doesn't work out, and you end up having to fight them. So that's what's happening. But I feel like it's interesting. To, okay, like. We were spared, but now the prince is kind of being forced to carry out these orders, which is like really, you know, intertwining things a lot.
0: Yeah. It's so cool, man. It's really cool. So this game comes out next year, which is, I think, very interesting. And we talked about this a lot in in our bonus episode about the direct, but I think you and I were very much on team like it's actually kind of cool that they were so upfront about this whole situation. Oh yeah. Like, like it's kind of early access in the best possible way where like they're being for a company as big as square Enix for them to be this kind of transparent about the situation. It's like, we're going to release this demo. Here's like just a bit of chapter six. And based on player feedback, we're gonna like tweak some stuff. I thought it was really interesting. I thought that, I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um, So, as bummed as I am that like we don't get to play the full thing until next year, it, it seems like it's at least the vertical slice that we got to play was like very, very feature rich. And and makes me pretty confident that the full game is going to be rad.
1: I think so, too. I mean, it's also, like, a four to six hour demo. Like, it's pretty meaty. Yeah. Um There are two big battles, and the rest is, like, conviction-esque. Also, there are, like, side quests that appear on the map, and depend. there's, like, three, I think, moral paths. That are- I forgot the names. They're not straightforward, but... <laughs> Depending on your stats, you can recruit random people in side quests that just mm. like show up. So I recruited a, like a, a shaman who can change the weather uh, cool. and a doctor who like her whole, she's a healer, but she's really good at using items. So all the items she uses are more powerful and she can also like throw them at a wider range, which I really wanted because the healer you start with, like they need, she needs to be like right next to them. Yeah. Not helpful. Learn physics like Mercedes, please. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah i will say this i i love like the story is fun and and can't be in a melodramatic way the battles are awesome i really like the scales of conviction i think i will inherently be sucked into the big choices because like it affects the game in in more ways than one yeah um the voice acting is just terrible like I, I really don't want to be mean but like I'm so it is, with, I'm so
0: with you I said that it, so yeah
1: it is like it just feels like no one wanted to be there in the recording like there there yeah. are some lines where someone will be like pray sit down and tell me what's going on with you like it literally like that it's like it's it's just I there there are you know some good performances here but like overall it really like, I was trying to figure out if I wasn't into the writing and the writing's actually fine. It's the voice acting that like really throws a bucket of water on some moments. Yeah, I'm desperately hoping that they
0: let us change the the vocal uh, the vocal cast at least, or the Me language. Me too. I don't remember if they
1: did that in Octopath or not. They did Um, and I think Octopath also didn't have great voice acting, but it was like a campy enough time I didn't mind really. Mm-hmm. But this is like going for serious moments. So to hear someone be like, Goose has my brother I need to go there before Goose he was my brother. There, there was a point, though, that was like, I've, I've laughed harder than maybe I've ever had in my life. It was when I recruited the shaman. There's a farmer. One of them is speaking in, like, Middle English with a southern accent, which is like, I can't even <laughs> replicate. And... Uh, it's revealed that the shaman girl can make it rain. And one of the farmers is like, well, smack my naked ass. <laughs> like, something? He's like, Take my bare ass and smack it. I haven't seen rain in years. What? Uh, yeah. It's, I was like, that is not a phrase, but okay, here we are. So yeah, that I will say that, but uh, you know, overall it, it is a really incredible time and I'm so excited for the game. I think it's going to be an instant favorite. I think so
0: too. I mean, you and I liked Octopath enough that we both played like a lot of it, despite, not being really into it at a certain point. Like I think you and I were trying to push through to like see if we were going to get something else out of it eventually. And like just kind of wound up bummed out that we didn't, um, the fact that we are both so into pretty much every aspect of this game in like two to three hours, yeah. uh, you know, just seeing a little bit of the middle of the video game, I think speaks volumes about what the rest of it's going to be like, because I can't even imagine hitting chapter six after the first five chapters. I'm going to be so right. invested in those characters already.
1: Oh, yeah. And th- and that's the thing. It's like and that's kind of what I was getting at with the tactics game. Like even with some Fire Emblem games that like aren't as narratively rich as like some later ones or three houses you're into it because you spent those time with those characters and you've gotten like really used to using certain units you kind of fill in the blanks and that's what this game seems to be kind of allowing for as well, because, like, you know, you've got, like, close to a dozen characters. They're not all going to have a scene with Gustadolf, but, like, <laughs> they also all have an opinion at the roundtable, which I think is so cool, Yeah, you know, to, to hear them and to really have, like, a conversation where you try to sway them and seeing what they say out loud when they maybe vote against their initial gut instinct the, the voting scene is great it's it's really cool i think that's like maybe we like, like you said earlier it's like on equal footing to the battles and i think it's gonna make for a really great time
0: yeah it really it really just seems like they've kind of solved every problem that you and i had with octopath in a way that wasn't making a sequel to octopath but fixing those problems which i actually yes. think honestly it is preferred to me at least because like, I, I was always curious about like okay are they gonna make a sequel to this game because it really seems like they like it sold well enough that i wouldn't be surprised if they made a sequel to octopath but is that really what i want like it, do i just want octopath but with a better story like i i wasn't really sure where they were gonna go next and this is just like a complete left field better choice i think
1: I'd, i think so too and there's also a much bigger void for tactics rpgs totally you know, like there's really just fire i mean i'm sure there are more but like in the spotlight there's fire emblem mario and luigi rabbits uh, yeah X-Com and, and like maybe, maybe
0: like into the breach was another one of those, like an indie right. game yeah i totally agree i think i think honestly even just from a uh just from a marketing perspective, capitalizing on the desire that people have for more Fire Emblem Three Houses is like very smart, intentional oh, yeah. or not. Like it was, it's a good move <laughs> to be releasing this game at the time that they are.
1: I also really like, I mean, we mentioned this kind of earlier, but like I like that Square's like, OK, we're going to do the like triple A Final Fantasy stuff in the spotlight, but we are also going to have a team that's just kind of trying out stuff like this. I love this. You
0: yeah, yeah th- this is the thing that EA did for a little bit as well. EA had had a moment in, in, for a while where they they were trying to make like smaller indie games on the side. That's where like uh, Valiant Hearts, that World War I kind of like yeah. visual novel came from. That's where, uh, what, was that, what was that game? Child of Light came from with that light, like, oh no, that was Ubisoft. But anyway, EA and Ubisoft actually now that I think about it have both tried doing this kind of thing. And it seems like those have petered out a little bit. I mean, we still got like Unravel 2 um, and stuff like that but uh, I, I'm glad to see Square Enix doing it I think that Square like of all the companies that could be doing this Square Enix is kind of the most interesting to be like experimenting with their own legacy in this way is
1: yeah. really cool idea it's really cool Absolutely, smack my naked ass. Smack my naked ass. I want to say that anytime it starts raining. Ah, oh, goddamn it! Take your hand and smack my bare cheek. <laughs> <laughs> my dad does say the uh, he uses the term like ah oh, sitting there like a smacked ass, uh, which I think is an incredible word that I haven't heard anyone else say. <laughs> he'll in the context he'll be like he i like my dad whenever i see a movie with him during Mm -hmm. all the coming attractions he'll just go stupid like after everyone he's like he's not a negative guy (laughs) (laughs) my dad gustadolf hilger my My dad's a very nice person but like when we when when i was like growing up and we would see movies he'd just be like stupid and he was right they usually were um but uh simple simple But he's like, you're just sitting there accepting information like a smacked ass. I hate coming attractions. <laughs> <laughs> well, smack my naked ass. I, <laughs> let me let me see. I need to see what the actual phrase was. I think I'm, I'm missing something important. Give me one second. Okay. Woolford townsperson. Well, slap me arse like I was just born. Rain. <laughs> Honest to goodness, rain. That's even better. Slap me arse like I was just born. And of course it's delivered like, well, slam me so I was just born rain, man. (laughs) <laughs> I really hope that, I really hope they fix that. I wonder if it is just a demo thing. I would also wouldn't be surprised if that's just like what they have currently. Yeah.
0: But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it right. is very, very possible that like they were really just rushing to get this demo out, you know? Sure. And they were like, yeah. all right, all right, we got to We got to Just first take,
1: just first take all of this. You know. <laughs> also, I don't blame any actor getting a script and seeing, Oh, I'm goose. The doll. Actually Goose the Dolph Isn't a bad performance. He's one of the better ones. Yeah, I agree. But, uh, yeah uh anyway project triangle highly recommend the demo if you're into tactics games if anything we said sounds at all appealing you're gonna have a great time with it it's yeah. a really cool game excited yeah. for
0: it i mean worst case scenario uh y- you got a free four hour thing to play you know even if you don't yeah. play the whole thing
1: well slap me like i was just born rain <laughs> honest to goodness rain and then she's like can i join your party i hear you have good conviction <laughs> all right let's take a break okay <laughs> okay smack brendan i don't know what has been happening kind of cosmically but this has maybe been one of the like busier weeks of my life lately and i've played more video games than like i have ever before i feel like you Uh, and i have become prolific video game players (laughs) <laughs> we are prolific gamers <laughs> but oh my god but sometimes i've had less time to play games than like ever before and i've still played like 20 things somehow yeah um but i thought in, in this break we would just kind of cover a little bit of stuff we've been playing um and i guess to kick it off uh we have finally gotten a copy of 3d world on switch it's now yeah. out uh, and uh, we talked a bit about it with Chris. Um, we recorded that like a couple days before, like the, it officially came out on Switch. Um, but now it's out, and we've been playing it. I thought we could just talk a little bit about it.
0: Yeah, uh, you and I, you and I played a little bit of it uh, online using Nintendo Switch Online, which is the new addition to me, or at least the the most exciting new addition to this game uh, is the ability to play it online with your friends. Um, and boy, is it fun! It's really it's good. it's so fun. How are you feeling about it? So I, I I've said I've been on the record a lot saying like. This this is my favorite Mario game, probably. Uh, but, but how are you feeling about it now, uh, playing through it? Because you're almost done with
1: it, right? You're, like, pretty close to the end of this almost, point. Almost, yeah. I'm on the final, final world. Uh, yeah. But I, I also have a weird, like, desire to collect everything. It's like this and Ghost of Tsushima somehow make me want to get everything that's there, and I don't yeah. know why. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it, it's an incredible time. I mean, I've been playing as Toad, which has been surreal. It's, like, this <laughs> fun that there's a mainline Mario game where you don't have to be Mario. That's, like, very fascinating Totally to agree. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think you're right that online play like is the biggest new addition, especially since we're all still in quarantine like this to come out and like be able to play with friends. There's some like lag every now and then, but it, the the act of like joining someone's game is actually very easy. Um, yeah. And as long as your connections are fine, you'll have a great time. So I remember like very, very, very early in the show, I think you mentioned that this is your favorite Mario game. And at first I was like, oh, that's a weird pick. Like of all the ones, that's <laughs> yeah. the one you're going to say. It's a little bit like being like my favorite album is the best of hits that someone else made for this band. Yeah, my favorite album is now volume three. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you're so right. I mean, especially because we not too long ago did a whole bonus about the Mario 3D All Stars collection. Uh, we've talked about Odyssey a lot. Like, I, I feel pretty recent with like my experience with a lot of the 3D Mario games and I do think that while 3D World owes a lot of its existence to like everything that came before it really does kind of like Octopath was like the best of like all RPG systems in one place that's what 3D World feels like yes, yes it's like yes, just yes, so yes. <laughs> I think while we were playing, I was like, I think it's, if I had to say, just like right now in this moment, what my favorite Mario games are ever for the mainline ones, I would say Odyssey, Super Mario World, and 3D World would be my three favorites. I think Odyssey is like a really cool fresh take on a very long series that feels the most like the future for me i think 3d world is like here's the best of up until odyssey and super mario world is just like a foundational classic like that is so i think that's still that was like the biggest leap for mario kind of like silver and gold for pokemon like everything has been kind of like Mm -hmm. just another building in the city of silver and gold yeah Uh, whereas uh, oh that's a good title for project triangle the city of silver and gold oh actually city of salt and iron is probably more accurate Uh, anyway (laughs) uh, the city of salt (laughs) (laughs) this city tastes (laughs) (laughs) awful oh no it's gusadol everyone prepare for battle I
0: do wait we didn't even mention (sighs) this but I do like that uh, one of so there's the three cities that are like constantly warring with one another one of them is known for having like a huge salt mine right so it's producing a lot of salt the other one is producing a lot of iron and the third one just has a river in it and they don't the third one's like we're the good guys it's not like the salt iron river war it's like they they don't even really
1: talk about the river side of things I think they have like farms and stuff right they're like the grain the grain yeah they're just they're just chilling man (laughs) they're not part of the salt iron war yeah I wonder I like how the bad guys are associated with salt (laughs) (laughs) why is this cake so terrible anyway uh, Mario 3D World is <laughs> definitely I think really under it because it was also on the Wii U and I think Chris mentioned this when, when we talked to him last he was like one of the best Mario games ever was on the Wii U and like no one got to play it because of that
0: yeah I think, I think he said his two favorite Mario games are on the Wii U and it's this and New Super Mario Brothers
1: Wii U also <laughs> I say this lovingly I love how he was like your takes have gotten hotter and then was like I hate Breath of the Wild and my favorite <laughs> Mario game is New Mario Brothers I mean, you know we love you Chris um anyway, uh yeah, Mario 3D World, if you haven't played it, it's it's I think an essential like sometimes we kind of take a step back and like what are the games like that if you have a Switch you need to get no matter what your tastes are. Yeah. And I think this is one of them. It's just so joyful, it's so fun weirdly though there is a difficulty spike like suddenly you know like this is a game that like the commercial is like a family playing and they all grow cattails and like oh this is fun yeah this game goes from like fun for the whole family to like celeste seaside real quick <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> there's a level i think it's in the world at the third world yeah, it's in we world played three. It together where like it is a the camera is moving slowly to the right level so if you yeah, it's an auto scroller yeah yeah exactly and there's also pla- it, it's just it's a nightmare if you don't have a cat suit. But what is kind of fun is that if you die at a level a lot, they will give you a block that has a uh, like white tanuki suit that gives you star power and tanuki. So you can kind of... A little bit more easily go through the level You still can't fall off but like that does Help kind of just breeze through it if you're having a Problem which like I've actually had to use Once or twice even And what's kind of very funny is there are some Levels that are significantly harder With more people oh yeah yeah I mean There's there's the constant risk of like if You're holding the b button and you run
0: into somebody That you're playing with like you'll pick them Up and then carry them on your head which is like (laughs) Hilarious as much as it Is like terrifying at times There was an instance in which you Uh, had like a bullet bill gun uh, stuck on your head oh no I did I had a bullet bill gun stuck I don't remember who it was but anyway one of us picked the other person up and and the other person had a bullet bill gun on top of their head and like we were using the other person as a gun essentially just like running it was incredible like those moments it was like really fun moments that just kind of like pop up out of nowhere uh, really make this game shine for me I love the chaos and I love that they embrace the chaos because this this is not the first like multiplayer Mario game that they've made um, but I I think because they've moved it and they've transitioned it into like a kind of pseudo isometric 3d space it just allows for the chaos to kind of reign in a way that it never has before because generally in in a side scroller in a 2d multiplayer mario game i think i think you're just kind of like assuming at all times you always know how how the nightmares will come about you know it's like <laughs> oh yeah there's a there's a very limited space for all the players to move around in so of course like you're gonna jump on somebody else's head while you're both jumping over like a bottomless pit and that person is going to get like stomped into the pit or something like of course you're going to like bump into each other right in front of Bowser and you know both die or something like that something about adding a third dimension to this really makes everything unknowable in a way that is constantly hilarious it is so yeah. funny at all times.
1: I also think the cat suit is one of the best like power ups in totally recent agree. memory. Yeah. There's the cat suit and then the cherries that make multiple versions of you, which yeah. is like very fun. Yeah. Like, we just, were running uh,
0: around with like eight of us, you know, it was, yeah, yeah, just it? you and I playing. There were, like, <laughs> there were like four toads and four Luigis running around. It was so funny.
1: It's so weird, though, to see like eight little toads running for the flag and then one gets it and the rest disappear. I'm like, what is this story? <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. It, it's it's an incredible time. It's really fun. I, I highly recommend. And it also comes about Bowser's Fury, which I have played a decent amount. You haven't played yet. I haven't played at all. Yeah. Okay, I have to. So here's here's what Bowser's Fury is. Uh, for those who don't know, it, ha, it it was marketed in a way that doesn't really answer this question. <laughs> you just see like Goku, yeah. Cat, Mario, and Kaiju Bowser. okay, all right, interesting. Yeah. Um. Basically, Bowser's Fury is like a, a three to four hour add on to the game. That basically had so when we were talking with with Chris about this, we were like, everything about Bastion Fury sounds like it's more in the Odyssey camp, unless in three D worlds. Yeah, the game is using like the same sort of uh, control scheme as three D worlds. So like there are the cat suits. Um, there's the whole thing where like if you get multiple power ups, you can push uh, up on the D pad and like summon the reserve one. Yeah, but in Bastion Fury, you actually have like an inventory screen where you can like select which power up you want. So okay. I actually really like that but anyway it starts off kind of identically where it's like just uh like mario walking around and rather than the fairy like showing you a map of the story it's bowser jr and he's like dude my dad is like wild right now you gotta (laughs) help me i know we have our differences but like you gotta help save my dad and mario's like yeah of course so it begins and um whereas 3d world uses the super mario system where like every level is on sort of a world map and, like, every level is, like, a one-and-done, self-contained thing. In Bowser's Fury, it's, like, this big, open island where, like, you'll go to a place. And then, like, kind of like um, in Breath of the Wild where you go to a town and it says, like, you know, where you are. Mm-hmm. It introduces it. It'll be, like, level 1-1, one, one, whatever the name of it is. And, like, mm. this little place is the level. I honestly don't know if I like that at all. I really don't know how this is. Like, I think it's a really... Basically, the idea they're testing is, like, could you do a Mario game that is, like, just one big area and all the levels are, like, different locations in that kind of world map? That's a really clever idea, but something about it is just not working for me. I think because 3D World is so, like, focused on, like, we're going to make a level about one thing... And do that and then move on to the next thing like there's the level where it's like all about shadows and like, you know, you you see the shadow on the wall and it kind of gives you like a heads up of what's going on. There are levels where it's like just get to the goal as fast as possible. I really like that focus of design. And what Odyssey did, and I I think Odyssey I would compare to Mario 64 in that, like, they are more about, you know, there's no time limit. And in 3D World, there's like, you've got to get to the goal by a certain time. You can even find clocks that give you more time. In Odyssey and 64, it's much more about absorbing a surrounding and kind of getting lost in a world Mm. and exploring it. And, and, you know, there there are concrete goals in each world, but like... It's more about, like, getting lost in a place. So I guess I can see why the logical follow-up to that would be like, well, what if we just get away with the, the, the borders and just have one big world... Something about using the control scheme of 3D World in that test idea is like oil and water to me. Yeah. You know, because it feels like um, the, it's still structured in a way of like, here's the quick hit, get the cat shine. But then also every blue moon Bowser will attack and they literally play the, the eject boss music from Final Fantasy X where it's like, <laughs> and like that's the song that plays. And like, I don't know. I don't know. That does nothing for me. Like it just mm. like fireballs fall from the sky. I don't want to be too harsh because I, I did enjoy of Fury. The music is great. It's really beautiful. What I did really like is that Plessy kind of becomes your opponent, So you just ride Plessy around to like all the different islands. I love that, yeah. I think like, I think that if this is like, a testbed for Odyssey 2, I think using the Odyssey mechanic of, like, throwing your hat and, like, possessing enemies in, like, a big open environment could be thrilling. Mm-hmm. And that could be, like, really fun. But I don't know why they chose 3D World to, like, test this idea. And then it all builds up to you getting a, a big bell that turns you into big cat Mario. And then you kind of fight Bowser, like, like Godzilla vs. King Kong stuff. That also is like nothing for me. Like it's just, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. It just feels like a Mario boss, which like I never really played Mario for boss fights. I was wondering if there's gonna be something different, but it's just like a you you jump on him, you know, when you can, and then mm. it's over. So I don't know. It, I, I I definitely respect them for taking a risk here and like testing out this idea, but it it just feels messy to me. Like there's some really brilliant things in Bowser's Fury and it's worth checking out. because I'm actually in I think the minority of people who are more critical of this. It seems like most people really loved it and maybe I need to give it more time but I think it's a really cool idea conceptually that is executed in a way that feels messier than most Mario games do. Mm, that's really interesting.
0: I, I'm actually more interested to check it out now I think just based on uh, based on your take on it.
1: Yeah let me know. You might love it. I mean it's fun. Like, It's still a Mario game. It's a good time. I, I have just, a suspicion like, that I'm yeah. going to
0: feel similarly to you because I, I, it's one of the yeah. reasons
1: i haven't been like you know jumping at the chance to
0: check it out in the first place is like i'm a little unsure because even in our conversation with chris about it my my thought just throughout that entire conversation was just like it just seems like like it doesn't make as much sense (laughs) for this game yeah and and I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it, honestly. But I guess I'll check it out and I'll let you know. Um, but that said, I mean, the base game is so wonderful that, like, yeah, it's just yeah. it's cool that it comes with this extra thing. But if this extra thing is an indication of what Odyssey Two is going to be like, because I'm also kind of in the minority about Odyssey Two, where like I liked it a lot. I think it's a great Mario game, but it's like not even close to towards the top of my list, uh, personally. Yeah. I, I appreciate a lot of what's going on in there, but like I would take like Sunshine and 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 3D World, obviously, over that any day. But uh, uh, that said. I don't know. Maybe maybe they'll take it into an open world direction. That'll be fun. Uh, Or maybe it'll be like The Last of Us Part 2 where we all think there's going to be an open world and then there's not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> mario's on Plessy and they go no
0: do you remember that in, in last month's too that was so silly yeah, I that, that one moment where they're like here we're gonna have an open world for 15 minutes Yeah, and then were, it was a little no, weird. nothing else in the game will be that ever again
1: <laughs> yeah it did feel kind of especially because like uh, uncharted lost legacy was all about being more open yeah not that i needed to be I, d- I don't care either way but it did feel like a bait and switch yeah a little bit it was very silly So that's 3D World. Highly recommend. Uh, It's so much fun. Uh, I mean, it's a Mario game, but I think it's one that gets overlooked and is like easily one of my favorites. And Baz's Fury is like a cool experiment if you want to see what's going on there. So yeah, that's, that's all I have to say about that. You've also been playing a few things that you wanted to touch on. Yeah, I've been playing a bunch of stuff, man. I've been playing so much stuff. Dude. A lot of stuff. Uh,
0: <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll I'll get uh, this one out of the way just because I, I think it's the one that I'm um, the, the least interested in talking about. But I, I, I did make a promise to myself and the listeners that I would mention if I ever found an idle game I liked again. Um, I, I mentioned Exponential Idol last time, which was like the most bare bones fucking idle game of all time. It's like, what if you just saw the algorithm that ran this thing, which I thought was really interesting and a bunch of people in the discord played it. Um, and, and it was fun watching the screenshots of people like slowly getting towards beating that game, uh, which I have now done. So So I've been on the hunt for another one ever since. And I found another one that is like the most experimental shit of all time. Weirdly enough, feels a lot like Exponential Idol, but it's called Idol Game 1 is the name of it. (laughs) I've only found it on iOS. I don't know if it's available on Android. But essentially, uh, the the quickest pitch I'm going to give, and I'm not going to really talk about it at all, um, is that it's experimenting with the idea of random upgrades instead of like a set progression path. So like generally it'd be like okay you're gonna you're gonna progress and and unlock you know this and then this and then this and then this. And then this. But in this game every time you uh, get an unlock it just randomly assigns that unlock to something else. Um, so you actually have no clear way of knowing how quickly you're progressing in the game, which I think is really interesting. And I've been playing it for a couple of days uh, and that's cool. So that's called Idle Game One. I'll link to it in the show notes because like that's probably not an easy thing to Google. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> moving on from that uh i've also been playing earthbound like for real for real Oh yeah you and i have not uh, been very secretive about the fact that you and i are both playing mother three at the moment and neither of us have played earthbound which i i was like i should probably have a little bit more context for what earthbound is all about and that's a game that i've tried to get into so many times throughout the years like constantly like every year or two years i'll be like Now it's going to be the time I'm going to play earthbound. And I sit down and I play it and I get like a half an hour to 45 minutes in and then I never go back to it. And I don't know why that was happening constantly, but weirdly enough, I think over the course of doing this show, I've kind of like like a piece of my brain has kind of unlocked like I've taken the limitless pill for like retro stuff and now I'm like <laughs> yeah and now I'm like a little bit more willing to I think put up with more retro games than I than I used to be hell yeah and and I am loving earthbound now I'm like nice pretty far into this game uh, at this point and just like having the best time with it I'm, I'm not really gonna talk about it a whole lot until i'm further in um or like maybe if we have like a better reason to talk more about earthbound uh wink wink um but that <gasps> said um i i am much farther into this game it's really 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 good uh and if you haven't played it i think you should just go do that because it it just feels like something that like should exist more and and surprisingly doesn't you know like the the, the real um the real analogs are just like undertale and mother three like its own sequel
1: is like the only other thing i think that feels like earthbound outside of undertale <laughs> and i guess like the the mario rpgs in some ways a little bit
0: yeah in, in some instances but it just it just feels like a completely different version of game design that i've seen like anywhere else it really feels like i don't i forget the guy's name the, the guy who like was the lead on all three of these games uh the, the mother trilogy shigasato itoi but it really seems like he just has an extremely creative mind and just kind of allowed that to take him wherever he was going. Cause playing this game and then playing anything else that was released on the super Nintendo is like a night and day experience. (laughs) Like, even yeah. playing something like Super Mario RPG, or like you and I were playing, um or we're playing Superstar Saga on the Game Boy Advance. Uh, you know, which like different system entirely, obviously. But like Earthbound just feels so fucking unique compared to everything else. From like n- not even like a mechanic standpoint, but even just like an art design standpoint, it doesn't look like anything else that was released on those systems.
1: Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, it, it's so. uh I I played. This is another thing I got uh, made fun of for because I I, was, I played the beginning of Earthbound. I got up to where you recruit Paula. Yeah. So I got like, um, I don't know, X hours in. And I, I was really enjoying it, but I uh, may or may not have been playing it on an emulator on my 2008 MacBook that then died. Mm, uh, so rough. Uh, I could not continue. And it's not an easy game to find. It's always in like the glass case at the retro store for like $400. <laughs> um, I have a friend who has the he has the SNES copy uh, with the box and, uh, an instruction booklet that came with it. I'm like, if you ever just want $4,000 at one (laughs) point in time, you can sell that immediately and buy, you can sell that, buy a new 3ds and buy earthbound on the virtual store and have still made a profit. Yes. So, uh, if that's, if you have that, do that. I I
0: will I will say dear listener, if you uh, are into the idea of playing earthbound, I, I started playing it um, and I actually released two videos on our YouTube channel of me playing it on on like a on a console system and like liked it and then decided on a whim to switch to playing it handheld. And like, man, this game is so good on handheld. If you have a 3DS... Like, go get Earthbound on the eShop before the eShop shuts down forever. I don't know what that's going to be, but, like, yeah. it'll happen eventually. Go get it before that happens. This game is so good in handheld mode. Like, absolutely should be played handheld. I don't know why that it feels that way. You you were saying before we started recording that just, like, the idea of playing an, an RPG in handheld is, like, the de facto way to play it if it's available. And I, I think I agree in the case of Earthbound. It feels really good.
1: Yeah, but from what I remember, of the game itself, it is it is so, like... There really is nothing like it, you know. That that's a that's a phrase that has lost its meaning, I think. But the real, it, it's so it's such a weird and unique game that it always baffles me that there are two characters in Smash Brothers from this series. It's like <laughs> Smash Brothers is like you know Pac Man, Sonic, two people from Xenoblade, and then like someone from a from you know this like obscure ass you can't get it legally weird ass game yeah <laughs> um, that like two people played when it came out and now has become this cult classic but it really is just like pure imagination uh, it, it feels um, there's really I, I'm struggling to define it I think we'll probably talk about it more in depth like you said at some point when we have both played it but if you just need like what is it I once saw it described as like it feels like it was made by a child and that's I think the best way i can describe it in the sense of like yeah it feels like it has that like i'm not gonna think about this too much i'm just gonna draw my coloring book and see what happens and see what takes shape
0: that's kind of what i that's kind of what i mean about the, like it, you can you can feel the creativity of the of the of the lead designer just kind of like flowing into this game in a way yeah. it, it really it does capture that like kind of childlike whimsy in a way that i i think most Things don't. And Mother Three, I mean, we'll get into that eventually at some point, but like Mother Three feels like that, but then made by an adult, weirdly enough. Like if Earthbound is like for kids, Mother Three is like, okay, for the kids that grew up playing Earthbound, here's what's next, which is really bizarre. It's really interesting.
1: I wouldn't even say Earthbound is for kids as much as it just has that, like, freedom to it, you mm-hmm. know, in, in, in the in the way it's created. Um, and I think it's it's interesting that, like, everything, you know, the, the analogs to Earthbound, like you said, Undertale is, like, the most direct one. There's also the trilogy games, the, the Lisa trilogy, which, like, I truly don't have any interest in playing because it's, like, so horrific. But um, mm. it is very, very, very influenced by that type of game. But at the same time, like those two games take a much darker approach like there isn't really a game that like is able to feel as lighthearted as earthbound even though earthbound gets more serious as you play it but usually the games that are influenced by this take a darker approach for some reason i'm not sure why yeah
0: yeah yeah it's 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 really it's really fascinating and i do think there are some like darker elements to earthbound and definitely more three as well so like yeah i guess the idea is like what if we just went all in on that but i don't know what make make things joyful <laughs>
1: you know? yeah I think there's a lot of confidence in earthbound's design like we don't need to make this about like the end of the world I mean I guess in some ways it eventually gets there but like most most of earthbound in the beginning hours is just like soaking in a setting um yeah it's just walking into everybody's house and talking to all the weird people who live in, in yeah your town and it's so it's such a funny game too like it's so bizarre and and uh the music is just great and also in kind of like a weird atonal arhythmic way like like the the sound that plays when you like fight the first enemy sounds like the tequila song, but like yeah. kind of like <laughs> falling apart and then like a weird alien synth comes in. So good. I'm very excited to talk and explore that series of games more because I think it's like so up our alley. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's kind of the thing. It, it
0: it has felt for so long to me, like um uh, uh, the example I always use is Twin Peaks, where like Twin Peaks is just filled with every kind of aesthetic that I personally really love, but I could never really get into it. And I've tried multiple, multiple times to get into that show. And like, it's just never worked for me. And Earthbound has always felt the same way where it's like, there's something imparsible about this. But eventually, maybe if I keep trying at it, I'll do it. And, and this was the first time where I got over the like hump of like there's a there's a part of the game that I think has always prevented me from getting through it's like the first like real boss fight that happens um, that like whenever I hit it it was always just like this is way too hard for me and I don't want to grind like that's not really a thing that I'm very interested in doing and and on this playthrough I specifically was like I'm going to get past this part and see what happens next finally like I'm really going to like work at it and doing so has been extremely rewarding so Earthbound is a game that I'm playing and
1: enjoying a lot and expect to hear more about it eventually I think another thing I'll say too I, I might have called this before but um, there's a great interview with Maurice Sendak who wrote where the wild things are. Mm. Uh, I think it's Stephen Colbert and Maurice Sendak. It was like right before he passed away. And uh, Stephen Colbert asks him like a joke question, but it ends up having a really meaningful answer where it basically the question was like, why did you decide to write books just for kids? Like what, what is it about like writing kids books? And he was like, I don't write kids books. I just write. And then some publisher says who it's for. Mm. And like, (laughs) That's how Earthbound feels. It doesn't feel like it was made for like, and I think that's, there's something really powerful about art that does feel universal in that way. Like, you know, you and I are both big Miyazaki fans and I feel like there are Miyazaki movies like Totoro or Ponyo that are clearly like made for kids with kids in mind, which you need that too. You need entertainment that's like, okay, this is like safe and good for kids. And then you have stuff like The Wind Rises, where it's like, this is for sad adults. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. And then there's stuff like Spirited Away, where it's like, this is just, yes, anyone can watch it, and yes, it might be marketed to a younger audience, but this is like going to hit on a universal level because it just so it just exists and it's comfortable just being mysterious and creative and not like edgy or anything it just exists in this like really mysterious way yeah um yeah so weirdly enough i
0: I, i'm actually gonna look the guy's name up because i've been referencing him enough i should yeah yeah earthbound i i spelled it wrong um so so the designer of this game um shigesato itoi is, is his name? Um, I I would honestly put him. He I don't know how many games he's made total, um, but I would kind of put him in the same realm as like a Kojima, weirdly in a way. Where like you really know what what you're getting. I think <laughs> when you play one of his games, uh, it really looks yeah. like he he did uh, Mother earthbound which is mother two and then mother three and there's like it, it looks like he did uh like a monopoly game
1: also <laughs> <in> between. There, <laughs> i would love to play that
0: game which is very funny but it really seems like you just kind of like know the vibe that you're gonna get um yeah. in the same way you would with a kojima game it, it, almost um like like an auteur in that sense i was
1: about to say yeah uh, there's a sense of auteurship there which auteur. like
0: which is like not a thing that you get very frequently in video games just because of the amount of like hands that need to to touch a thing before it can go out
1: oh yeah totally i mean you have have that like in a broad sense with nintendo but even earthbound feels like not nintendo-esque in many ways you know like oh my god um, he was in my
0: neighbor totoro sorry i'm on the wikipedia page how funny is that (laughs) who did he play he's the dad
1: he's the dad in my neighbor totoro (laughs) ness it's your dad dude what oh my god he's our hero holy shit yeah i love that I love how recently we also discovered that the creator of Evangelion is the main character in The Rises. Yeah, what on earth, man? (laughs) The cosmic connection there. All right. Wow. Okay. My whole head has fallen (laughs) off of my neck. (laughs) What the hell? He's my dad, too? Anyway. I my dad was Gustav. He took, off, took me from him.
0: Earthbound is a good video game. You can go play it on uh, the Wii U or the Nintendo 3DS. Are, are your two. <laughs> sorry, the new Nintendo 3DS specifically. You have yeah. to have the new Nintendo 3DS. Those are the two legal ways of playing Earthbound. Such bullshit.
1: The, the, <laughs> there's, the virtual store on the 3DS is still active. That's where I got Crystal, which is like, uh, get Crystal while you can. It's like $7. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, you can also get Mega Man X on the new 3DS. I Remember looking at the the virtual store and be like, "Ooh, these are cool." I'm like, oh, I don't have a new 3DS. Excuse me. I debated getting one, but I'm like, "Nah, I don't want to support this. I don't want to support." <laughs> well, I mean, gatekeeping. Earthbound. If you
0: buy one uh, secondhand, you're not really supporting it.
1: You know, that's true. But I don't. I don't. I don't need it just for a disservice. I can. Uh, I can play it that in other ways.
0: Oh man, it is worth mentioning that you can also get uh, like a translated version of Mother One for the Game Boy Advance. It's like available on like Etsy and stuff.
1: Uh, oh, yeah. Which there's I saw also, around. There's... I think I saw someone playing... Mother Because I was like... Because you don't hear much about Mother 1. It's like sort of the the odd duckling of the trio. Yeah.
0: Even in like... I, I, I've i seen some like forum posts and stuff. Because I've been like really looking into the franchise recently. I've seen some forum posts and stuff that are like... You could just read a plot synopsis of Mother 1 and probably be fine.
1: Yeah. But even,
0: even on the NES. Because that, that was an NES game. Like it looks almost identical to Earthbound. Like it is it shocking <laughs> how good it looks
1: on the NES. Yeah. It, it, it does, um, but I know that in, like, uh, recent versions of Mother 1, there's, like, an item you get called, like, easy mode or something, or the easy ring. It just makes it like you don't have to grind as much because apparently in the original game it's. That like, is in the, that is in the fan version, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, if you are curious about playing it, there's like things that kind of make it a little bit more accessible. But it seems like you can probably just do Earth Earthbound and Mother Three feel like also such different vibes too, and mm-hmm. we'll get into that soon. But um, really, really excited to get more into this series. Yeah. Cool. All right. This is a long break. You wanna you wanna leave and then come back? <laughs> that was a whole segment. Baby. That was a segment. Yeah. Maybe remove the break part. It was a segment. That was a long segment. <laughs> All right. Talk to you soon, o- dear listener. Odiska. <laughs> <laughs> See you soon. Brendan, I have some questions I need to ask you. And oh, yeah. I hope you're able to answer. So I'm an open book,
0: man. <laughs> That's the whole reason the podcast exists. We you can ask me any question on here. It can be about video games or not. It's like a form spring. Do you remember that? Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> you know, form spring happened and then there were like 40 other yeah, uh, websites that tried to be FormSpring like none of them learning from why FormSpring had to shut down because it was just like literally a platform for bullying other people. Unfortunately yeah it was like ask me
1: anything anonymously. Yeah there so, was you know. CuriousCat.me I think was one of them. Then there was one that got popular again around the era of Mitomo in 2016 uh, uh, I forgot what
0: it was called. There were I know there was a big one that was like kind of adjacent to it that was called Secret that was like it was like a fox and uh, that one shut down because people were like leaking like inside Cider trading company info. Oh my God. Which was really It's so wild. unfortunate
1: because I feel like that whole idea is such an innocent attempt at like a fun social media platform that's like immediately ruined by humanity. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's like, a, I remember my German teacher in college it was like the nicest guy ever. He, I just remember he would, like, act out any verb he was teaching. So he'd, like, trinken und tanzen and just, like, kind of <laughs> dance yeah. around. Really warm guy. Um, and he was, like, I would love... I heard about this thing. This is in 2010. Back in 2010, I've heard about this thing called chat roulette, and it sounds so cool, because oh, no. I'd love to go on and, like, learn other languages and, like, teach them what I've learned. And oh, we're, no. like... Dude, don't go on it. It's not what you think it is. <laughs> you are too pure for chat roulette. I'm sorry. Don't go on it. Oh, man. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, anyway, Form of Spring and chat roulette aside, I have some questions that I need answered. And you know who's asking, and it. it's not bullying. So, uh-huh. we're in the clear. Um, I'm also not going to send you lewd pictures either. So, all all the worries aside. Okay, good. I, I feel very relaxed. I feel safe. <laughs> I feel at home. The,
0: the Aether is just like a big pillow, in a way, now. It's like a ball yeah. pit
1: exactly it's like a ball pit uh so okay what's really <laughs> the thrilling there's the de- space between the ball pit you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> thanks Dave matthews okay um i got some questions for you i think what's thrilling about doing this show with you is that we truly don't know what's gonna happen every week like other than the bonus episode there's not really any concrete plan sometimes we move in a direction you know we had our big like kind of beginning love with Dragon Quest earlier this year, which like will still pop up. We're not done with that. That was not a fad, dear listener. Yeah. That's genuine love. I picked up more Dragon Quest games since we last talked about them. Um, but it's really just like every week I, I can't safely bet on what you or I are going to bring to the table, which is very fun. Um, you have out of nowhere begun playing, <laughs> texting me about, and uh, putting on YouTube <laughs> – Uh, your time with lost odyssey a game i have no no knowledge of at all and you keep being like i love lost odyssey as if i have like a prior experience i'm like cool what is this i google it and i just have more questions it's a it's a 360 game but anyway all that all my, my confusion aside your sudden out of nowhere love for lost odyssey has me so excited to hear what this game is, what it's about. And I also want to know if you don't mind, how did this enter your life? Other than like sheer curiosity and like looking up every 360 game that came out, <laughs> I need these answers. You're going to be surprised because this is less of a
0: Charlie Day in that one episode of Always Sunny situation where he's like, you know, uh, he's in the mail room, like trying to find a person who doesn't exist. There is like very direct connections between things we've talked about in Lost Odyssey. Like this is, this is weirdly a natural progression. Cool, cool, cool. So, so, uh, listeners who are, uh, have very open ears
1: might, might really, uh, that has a horrible turn of phrase. (laughs) That sounds like, I've been watching Deep Space Nine and the Ferengi are like, do you have the lobe for this, no, that's like—if
0: <laughs> you have the lobes for this, you will know why I'm playing Lost Odyssey. Uh, anyway,
1: god damn it! So okay. this is a very Ferengi episode. I feel like. <laughs> anyway, let's continue.
0: <laughs> I love every time the Ferengi show up I feel like it's like when Kramer shows up in Seinfeld like I feel like they should have a studio audience Woo! just for the Ferengi in, in yeah. Next Generation because they always show up out of nowhere. It's never a Ferengi episode but it becomes one as soon as they arrive.
1: Also like it, we talked about this a lot off the show we have like a secret unrecorded Star Trek podcast but like <laughs> Star Trek's whole thing is like we are past discrimination. We're in this kind of utopic age where like we're trying to learn about other cultures and accept everyone and like everyone's like ew with Ferengi or <laughs> like, suck. are yeah. like oh I hate them um so yeah but uh you gotta love the Ferengi sometimes. Lost Odyssey is a game for the
0: Microsoft Xbox 360. This game came out in 2007 uh in, in Japan and then 2008 everywhere else which I, I think is, is worth noting because if you like look at uh even the box art for this it has very much the color palette of games that came out around that time you know the like kind of coffee filter Call of Duty brown kind of thing going on but The thing that's important about this game and the reason that I'm playing it is that it's by Hironobu Sakaguchi, who is the creator of Final Fantasy. This game exists... Uh, essentially because at a certain point in the Xbox 360 life cycle, they realized that their sales in Japan, like their console sales were just like atrocious, just abysmal. They were not selling consoles at all in Japan. So their thought was, what if we got the guy who made Final Fantasy to make games that were exclusive to the Xbox 360 and he made two games? The first one I've brought up on the show before, it's called Blue Dragon. And I brought it oh, up. Yeah. I brought it up on our Dragon Quest episode because I was playing it because it has art by Akira Toriyama, um, and and is this weird like fusion of a Final Fantasy game and a Dragon Quest game. But the thing is that it's only Dragon Quest in art. Game design wise it feels a lot like a Final Fantasy game. Um, and specifically I'm going to be totally honest and I know there are people who love this game. It feels like a bad Final Fantasy game. Um, <laughs> I haven't played enough Final Fantasy. I th- I mean I've played more of them now than I had when we started the show but I yeah, haven't played have. enough of them to like really say like this is good or bad. I can definitively say that I think Blue Dragon is a bad Final Fantasy game. Oh, that's uh, about with, me. With, with like a pretty good Akira Toriyama art. It is not a game that I enjoyed playing. Um, and, and I think it really just kind of served to highlight why Dragon Quest is so successful in, in the places that it is. Um, and that was the first game that, that uh, Sakaguchi made for the Xbox uh, with his new studio. This is after he had left Square Enix for a time. Um, he, he created a studio called Mistwalker. Weirdly enough, you know, full circle situation. Mistwalker is now kind of one of the studios in the realm of Square Enix again. But it's just allowing Sakaguchi to kind of like explore the JRPG genre in, in Interesting, like weird ways. Um yeah. and, and just like uh Project Triangle strategy, he is making a new game via Mistwalker and Square Enix that's called Fantasian, which we've also talked about on the show. Oh,
1: it's the Apple Arcade, like you're yes. in a real place, but you're an animated character. Kind yeah, of they're
0: making like real dioramas and then putting like 3D JRPG characters in those dioramas, which is really cool. But anyway the first game that he made was Blue Dragon and the second one was Lost Odyssey. Completely different vibes between these two games. Blue Dragon yeah. is very much like fun fantasy like um, I, very very Dragon Ball-esque honestly like more Dragon Ball than than even Dragon Quest is in a lot of instances uh, just in terms of like tone and vibe and like the world that they're trying to explore there. Um, yeah. Lost Odyssey is a completely different thing and I am so in love with this game in a way that like I, I just need to tell you about it because first of all right now I think it's 7 on on the xbox store so like oh cool it's like it's like no brainer price if you're like even remotely yeah. interested in it. Um, I have one huge, massive hang up that is gonna prevent me from like just blanket recommending this to everyone. I mean, because the price is so low and whatever. It runs so well on the series S and X. Like it's almost like just just absolutely give it a shot. Um, but there's one big issue with it. But let, let me just kind of like set it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, so this is by Hironobu Sakaguchi. It has um it has music by uh, Nobuo Nobu Metsu, who did Oh my god. The uh, music for all the Final Fantasy games. You know, good at his job. Um, Very good. And specifically, it has writing by an author named Kiyoshi Shigemetsu, who like, we'll get into that. Uh, That is a whole separate realm of this video game (laughs) that I think is like so worth diving into. But on the surface level, this is just like a kind of tried and true JRPG. Like it's a turn based combat JRPG. Um, like as by the numbers as possible in a lot of instances, but really just feels like a like a lost Final Fantasy game in a way. Um, like you could you could say that this is like Final Fantasy like ten point one or something, and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is like the exact realm of that kind of uh, Final Fantasy game. But essentially, it, it follows the story of this guy uh, who's named Kaim, uh, and and it opens with him in this like huge like Lord of the Rings adjacent battle that's happening like just like gigantic like third act of any lord of the rings or any movie that came out around you know i remember <laughs> in that like time in movies where like every movie had to end with like a big lord of the rings battle like this is how the game opens and it's like a bunch of dudes in like really kind of goofy looking armor running around just like killing each other with swords and stuff um and every once in a while one of them will die and a giant blue sphere will come from the sky and resurrect that person and then they just run right back into the battle um oh, shit. and And it kind of pans out and you see these big like large kind of obelisk towers with giant blue lights on top, and there are a bunch of mages on top who are, like, casting spells to resurrect all their fallen soldiers. So it's just this, like, huge, endless, nightmarish battle that's happening uh, as these people continue to die, and some of them get resurrected and going back and forth. And they have this, like, giant, clunky armor on, and then this guy runs out wearing, like, no armor at all. He just got, like, a shirt and pants on, uh, and it's, like, so clearly he's the protagonist immediately because he's running... <laughs> He's running around and just like eviscerating dudes, you know, just like sword in the head, dodging a sword in like neo slow motion, and then like kicking him in the shin and then sword in that guy's head. Like he takes out like 45 dudes in the span of like a minute. It's like a really wild cutscene. And then it immediately transitions into the turn based gameplay in a way that like even in even by like 2021 standards is shockingly seamless to go from cutscene to gameplay this well. And and you essentially just like kind of learn the ropes of the game. There are no tutorials at all. It is literally just like, well, you got attack spells item and run, which you can't do in this case uh, because it's (laughs) the beginning of the game. But uh, you don't have any spells either at the moment. So you can really only attack or defend or use your items. But at this point, you just like take out a bunch of dudes and then you have to fight like this big tank, which is like kind of a boss, but kind of not really. And then that takes you like really into the game. And, and I'm going to I'm going to spoil some stuff about the beginning of this game. This is like first half hour to 45 minutes. So like it's not a whole lot. But that's why I wanted to save this segment for the end, because like just in case you don't want any of it spoiled a heads up, just go play this game. It's really good. But if you're still here and you're still listening, essentially what happens is a giant meteor rips through the sky and lands exactly like smack dab on the battlefield and kills literally everyone. It's like it's like lava. It's like magma is pouring from the sky onto everyone below and just completely wipes everyone out. And it cuts to our hero, Kaim, standing on the edge of the battlefield like uh, I would say a five to ten miles away from the battlefield like it's as if he just like teleported from one spot to another because he was like right in the middle of the fray and then suddenly is there so he survives miraculously and gets summoned by like a council who lives in like the main city in this place to essentially explain how he didn't die because they're like you are a lieutenant on the battlefield there's no way you should be alive right now how did this happen Um, and it's revealed and this is like this is the spoiler so just a heads up Uh, it's revealed that he is immortal Um, And Mm -hmm. he has been immortal for a really long time, over a thousand years at this point. Oh, wow. And and as he has been immortal for a longer, longer period of time, essentially his brain can't handle all of the memories that he's collected and he is starting to forget things. So he like maybe, maybe not died on that battlefield and then immediately resurrected outside of the battlefield. And that's just like part of the immortality spell that like was cast on him or whatever. I don't know how he's immortal yet, but he just like woke up. He's like, I don't know what happened to me. I don't really know who I am that much. I just know that like I have dealt with and have like felt a lot of pain and sadness in my life, essentially. And and I don't I don't really know how I survived, but it's like it's cool that I did. Um, And the council's like, OK, well, if you're immortal, then we're going to send you into the most dangerous place humanly possible. Because we just like we need somebody who is definitely going to survive to like tell us what's happening at this place. And that I will not get into. That's all like story stuff that I think is really cool. But essentially, you find another immortal person as well. Uh, her name is Seth. And the two of you, like, form a party and, like, go out and do some stuff. Um, and, and you you form a party with another guy who's not immortal, which is wonderful. To have, like, two people who are immortal in a JRPG, like, turn-based fighting game, and one guy who's not. It's like, okay, protect the guy who just cast spells.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm good at items. Protect me. <laughs> essentially. Because if, if, yeah. if Kaim
0: or Seth die on the battlefield at, at any point, at, in a random number of turns, they'll just resurrect on the field. Like, you don't have to use any items to resurrect oh, them. Oh, that's cool. They just come back. It's fucking
1: sick honestly every time it happens is there permadeath with everyone else or do you just use like a phoenix down-esque item
0: yeah essentially that Yeah, yeah um i forget what it's called in this game but uh it's essentially a phoenix down yeah so anyway That's all well and good. Like, I I think that the combat is, like, kind of exactly what you would expect. There's one thing that they do in the combat that I think really makes it very special, which I, like, can't believe. Because it's so fucking simple, and it makes the game, like, so worth playing. But they have this system that's called just, like, the ring combat system, which is just you wear a ring, and those rings have different effects that will allow you to do, like, extra moves while you're attacking in certain instances. Uh, Oh, cool so the the first one that you get is called the bruiser ring which essentially just means that you do like extra damage if you like time and attack well so when you hit attack there's like this big closing ring and you have to hold the right trigger and then when one ring overlaps on the other one you release the right trigger and like based on how well your timing is you do extra damage and it takes this like turn-based combat that like could be very dry and would be very boring in this game i think honestly especially compared to how wonderful everything else is it takes it. it makes it so active in a way that i was not expecting that i like i love battling in this game i'm already like kind of predisposed to like a good uh turn-based combat system at this point but just yeah. this simple very simple addition makes it way more engaging yeah. um, so that's really cool that's you know wonderful the other thing is that kai is like not exactly a silent protagonist but like has his reasons for being a silent protagonist he is like he is like Cloud played completely straight in a way you know like Mm. if Cloud didn't have this like undercurrent of like I'm just faking my vibe you would essentially have Kaim and Kaim's reasoning for this I think is like actually really well established and that's where the work by uh, Kiyoshi Shigematsu comes in because this guy is like an actual like you know award winning short story and fiction writer this is like this is like as if you went and got like Ted chang who wrote like uh, *Arrival*, and uh you know is an eisner award-winning science fiction uh short story writer to come in and write short stories for your video game like it's like that level of like holy shit what happens is every once in a while thing kai will just run into things and it can happen like almost completely at random i was out like in a storm at one point and it was like kai recalled a memory and then it just launches you into what is essentially a visual novel. Like if you've played the beginning of uh, Firewatch and you've gone through like that that kind of like multiple choice selection um, that happens before the actual main game happens, it is essentially just text on a screen and some like incredible sound design in some of the best fiction writing I've ever experienced in a game. And I, I've gone back and read a lot of reviews of Lost Odyssey, and it's very mixed, I think, in terms of how people received it when it came out. But the one thing that is like true across the board every single review is like the kiyoshi shigematsu stuff is brilliant like it is so worth playing this game just to read that stuff so that all all of those stories i think there's like 30 or 40 of them in total got uh essentially collected into a book that was released uh, I don't think ever translated and released in the United States unfortunately. But it was called A Thousand Years of Dreams. And essentially every single one is just about Kaim's life in the past and like all of the things that he's experienced as a person who's been immortal for so long. It's so, like for example, I just played one where uh Kaim like lived in this town with uh, a wife and daughter who apparently he's had like a lot of wives and daughters over the years, which like I have my opinions on. Uh, but
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: essentially uh you know, he was just like this is actually a really nice life in this like little tiny like harbor town like there's not really a whole lot going on I'm I'm immortal and that like kind of sucks it's more of a curse than anything but at least I've like found this you know this piece of happiness Uh, Which will unfortunately end eventually because like these people will grow old and and pass which is like really unfortunate and I'm going to have to like probably book it out of there before that happens but at at this one point in time with this wife and daughter there's like this horrible accident that happens I I won't get into like the specifics of it there's a horrible accident that happens that essentially like eviscerates the whole town Um, and like almost everyone dies except Kaim because he's immortal and the story is told from the perspective of him revisiting that town, like 400 years later and see, and seeing that the like the like prayer service that used to happen to commemorate that event. And like, you know, essentially everybody just like very sadly kind of like mourning the loss of all those people in about 400 years, it's turned into this like huge, like raucous festival in the town um, where people just go fucking wild. uh, You know, every year on that day, it's like the biggest, like people come from all over the world to come like celebrate and like go wild during that time. Um, and, and Kimes like, kind of conflicted feelings about that, like having lived yeah. through that event and then seeing that like this thing that was really tragic has become this like kind of irreverent, almost like Mardi Gras adjacent yeah. festival, It like kind of makes him feel a lot of different ways. Stories like that. There's another one where he continues to meet the same person every like 40 years until they die. Oh,
1: that's fun. That's um, like Sandman, the immortal guy he yes, always meets. Yeah,
0: exactly. Um, yeah. It, it is exactly like that. Uh, it, it's really, really striking. Like the writing in these moments is really Right. And, and I, I think the thing that I kind of deviate on from a lot of the other reviews that I've read from 2008 when this game came out is I think that a lot of the writing of the actual story itself, like the actual video game itself, while not on the same level, is way more serviceable than in other, like even Final Fantasy games that I've played. Sure. I, think, I think the story is really fascinating because we're getting kind of two angles of immortality from our heroes, Kaim and Seth at the moment. Seth is like kind of, um, I, I would say like a pirate. Uh, they, they describe her as a pirate in some instances, but she, she reminds me a lot of like, kind of like a swashbuckling person in a lot of instances. And it's like, these are the exact, two vibes that you would have if you were immortal. you you would either be kime who is like so weighed down by all of the tragedy and heartbreak and horrible shit that he's seen that he is like completely closed off from everyone um and and just like is is really reluctant to open up at all because he just knows what it's going to lead to because he's seen it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times or you have seth who for the exact same reasons is like well nothing matters so i'm just going to be like wild constantly um I, I think that those two personalities both play off of each other really well. And I think it makes for like really engaging storytelling between these two characters in like almost silent moments at times when they both yeah. have memories about similar things like unlock at the same time and how they both react in literally completely opposite ways for the same reason. I think it's really striking. I I, I the reason I'm playing this game essentially is because I was interested in Blue Dragon uh, and and. Didn't enjoy it very much and was just really curious about the other game that they tried like to launch the Xbox 360 in Japan with. And I had heard always when looking up Blue Dragon, if you don't like Blue Dragon, you'll probably like Lost Odyssey. And if you don't like Lost Odyssey, you'll probably like Blue Dragon. So I thought I didn't like Blue Dragon at all. So I might as well check out Lost Odyssey. Man, I'm really feeling it. It's really, really good. My here's my here's my big like roadblock with it. The first boss in this game is like almost impossible. Like like for real impossible to like if you go and Google like game message board forums from 13 years ago when this <laughs> game came out, there are discussions about how this is the hardest boss in the entire game. and It's literally the first one you run into. Um, yeah, because you go from like. Okay, the only button I can press is attack over and over and over again on all these characters. To like, you really, really, really gotta think about your strategy. You have to think about what items you have equipped. You have to think about what skills you have equipped. You have to think about all of this stuff that, like, hasn't come into play literally at all. It just feels like they, like, tripped you essentially. Like, they just, like, they just stuck their foot out and you tripped and fell in the mud. I have fought this boss like four or five times and I've just gotten completely eviscerated every single time. It's really unfortunate. What I've heard is that when you get over that hump, the game continues being great, but that is such a roadblock. It's like, it's like Father Gascoigne, but without it trying to teach you anything. You know what I mean? Right, it's it's right. like, it's, it's like a Demon Souls boss that like doesn't actually reinforce an idea. It just is hard for no
1: reason. That's like, um, infamously the, uh, I've talked about this with some friends, but in Persona 5, the fifth palace boss is like that for that game where he's like inexplicably hard. In an arbitrary way that isn't like rewarding to discover. It's just like it's just a roadblock
0: so i i found that to be like kind of a bummer to be totally honest uh it's just just having that experience kind of like trip me up because i still haven't beaten that boss yet I, i've i've resorted to grinding at the moment which i don't really mind because i like the combat enough but there yeah. aren't enough places to grind really either at the moment uh because it has like random encounter battles and like they're actually not that frequent um so i've had a hard time grinding also i've just been like listening to podcasts and doing that um i think i could probably like just be better at the combat but uh it, it's just asking a lot very early that said i'm still excited to continue playing it and see more of it because i'm i'm starting at least the vibe that i've seen online is like this might be just like a forgotten classic jrpg that like nobody is really playing or talking about because not enough people played it when it came out um so there aren't like a lot of very like vocal like hey this is great kinds of people on the internet left in 2021 but that's also exactly the kind of game that I like love checking out oh uh, yeah personally so like I I'm loving 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 Lost Odyssey and I think you in particular would really really like this game like <laughs> maybe even beyond where I'm at because I I'm so smitten by it so quickly um and I tend to have a harder time getting into this kind of stuff but I'm like completely committed to playing as much of this game as I possibly can it's like
1: all I really want to do that's awesome yeah I, I will definitely download you've convinced me I will download Lost Odyssey on my series S as soon as you've <laughs> hypnotized me uh, <laughs> <laughs> I meant to sound that monotone. But yeah, um, that sounds really fascinating. I mean, the idea of having those, like... I guess I guess it's tough when you have, like, walls of text in a game because then it kind of poses the question, like, should this have been a game at all, you know? Um, right. I think, like, it really depends. I mean, we both love Kentucky Route Zero, and I think that even though that game comes, like, as closest to being a book as possible, mm-hmm. it's still very interested in being a game. And Kentucky Route Zero in particular is all about, like... Even though I think a lot of it is, like, commentary about society and and capitalism, a lot of that game is also very interested in, like, what is the medium of video games? Is it a play? Is it... Yeah. Is it a book? Is it something... Yeah, so... And it sounds like I think I mean I don't know I think RPGs inherently are very text based anyway so like it's not like you're playing Doom 2016 and then suddenly it's like on Mars I had a dream of yesterday that never was you know it's not it's not throwing a wrench in the gears so yeah. yeah
0: it it doesn't feel that way at all yeah I, it was very jarring the first time it happened because I couldn't believe how long it was I think right because <laughs> it took like 15 to 20 minutes to go through that story yeah um I my only th- so a little give and take here because on one hand like I do wish that they didn't happen so. Like, like randomly because like there are some times where I just want to continue progressing the story uh, and, and you know, a dream sequence will happen instead. Um, What's nice is that you can like delay them and then do them later. Like you could, you could say like, I don't, I don't want to do this right now, but the next time you're like at a bed or an inn or something in one of the towns, like you can then go to sleep and have that dream, which is cool. I, I appreciate that. And you can revisit them whenever you want. So that's one side of it. On the other side, they really are that good. Like they yeah. really are so yeah, good yeah. that like I do want to find all of them and I want to experience all of them because they I, I think they they serve kind of double purpose of like one just being fucking great writing, but be really like for the first time for me, at least taking a character like a cloud strife or or in this case Kyme and like giving me w- literally 30 to 40 great reasons for why he is that like stoic protagonist who doesn't say a yeah. whole lot and is like like badass but like really just very sad um, Yeah, it's it's really striking man I, I, I can't speak highly enough of, of the writing in, in those moments of the game and outside of that I mean like there's some stuff like the villain of the game is so clearly the villain immediately uh, that I was like <laughs> hey, you, so I've, I've been posting the videos um, of my playthrough of this game on our youtube channel which you can go watch um but you'll you'll see in the first episode or two episodes you'll see me being like he can't be the villain because it's too obvious like it yeah like everything else in this game is so well written that there's no way that they would just be like yeah he's gonna be the villain but he he just is which is like kind of a bummer outside of that i i really like a lot of what's happening here i i think it's like really incredible and although it has a little bit of The issues that I I tend to run into with games like this where like they're just throwing a lot of systems at me at once. I've had enough time in them at this point that I think a lot of them are I I wouldn't say necessary, but I think are like really interesting. And I'm having I'm having a good time playing around with them.
1: Um, Yeah, it's it's good. Something about RPGs is similar to getting into a show where like usually when you watch a show, people are like, OK, the first season kind of sucks, but like it eventually gets there. Yeah. It's always like, OK, the first 10 hours is brutal, but eventually it'll be great, which is always kind of interesting. Yeah,
0: And that and that's the thing is that that's not the case here. And I think that's one of right. the reasons
1: I like this game so much
0: is like, yeah, right from go. It's one of the only games I've played that is able to like, I think in, in a way that doesn't feel like they're just. Handering to like 13 year olds in 2007 like is able to pull off a grimdark vibe in a way that that feels earned because there is a lot of lightness there like the, the darkness that happens in that opening you know fucking middle earth battle sequence i think is earned via kaim uh, uh able or being able to just like blip out of there um and and like the horror of needing to run through the battlefield to get to you know from point a to point b uh to continue progressing the story i think is actually really interesting um yeah there's a a lot of darkness in this game that doesn't feel very final fantasy at all that i think actually really works in its favor especially when you
1: start to learn more about kaim via his backstories and more about the world yeah i think um i mean sometimes i feel like you and i have a subjective preference for like high fantasy that's a little bit more lighthearted or like yeah. more positive um, but I think that's just because like I think sometimes when you do dark fantasy it's like okay is this world dark because you want to be edgy as a writer? Yes exactly. Or is it dark for interesting reasons? Like are you exploring themes that are interesting? I don't have an issue with things being dark as long as it's not like just trying to push the envelope for arbitrary reasons Yeah, and it sounds like this game is not doing that which yeah. is great. Exa- yeah it, you took the words right out of my mouth in this case yeah,
0: that's exactly how I feel about it. Yeah, I, I, ju- I just find that this game succeeds more than it doesn't, with the exception of this one boss fight that I can't get past at the moment. Um, <laughs> and and I'm, I'm hoping that, kind of like I was talking about with Earthbound, like there's that one boss that I always had a really hard time with that I've now made it past. I'm hoping that I have a similar experience with this game because I'm I'm pretty committed to beating that boss and seeing what happens afterwards because I'm so intrigued by, like, uh, a just seeing uh, more of those short stories but b just like what's going on in this game and seeing why it's so beloved by people and has been for so long yeah it's worth mentioning that like the the microsoft play of getting uh of getting the creator of final fantasy to make two games that were exclusive to the xbox did not work like literally <laughs> at all and and to this day there are like Rumors that that Microsoft is looking to acquire like big Japanese studios to like try and get gain more of a foothold in Japan like that that is their like constant uphill battle that they've had. Uh, since the 360 era but um, I, I I think that like regardless of how successful it was at their marketing push Lost Odyssey is a really fucking good video game.
1: I'm so excited to play it yeah that sounds really fascinating um, speaking of RPGs and Final Fantasy I have something I'd like to bring to the table if you don't mind.
0: Yeah I'm glad that we're bringing this up in the same segment because it, it feels weirdly on the nose
1: <laughs> <laughs> so um, like you've been uh, sharing your playthrough of uh, Lost Odyssey on YouTube.com I been streaming myself playing Final Fantasy 10. That's right. You heard it. Final Fantasy 10. The big one for a lot of people. (laughs) I've often said how I'd love for us to explore every Final Fantasy eventually on this show. I'm amazed it's taken this long to bring up 10. I brought up 10 2 before 10. What am I doing? Um, uh, 10's been
0: my like... My, my my white whale in a way you know um, yeah. I, I've mentioned this on the show but I, I picked up the the 10 port for Vita way back in the day it was my first Final Fantasy game that I'd ever played and I loved it and that was like the big issue was I got like 6 to 8 hours in uh, and it was right when Sony introduced cloud saving and the ability to transfer saves from point A to point B like from console to console and it erased my save um, no. and I like just yeah. never went back and I'm like dying to go back and play this game because I know I'm gonna love it
1: so yeah, yeah I'm playing it on ps4 currently there is a a uh final fantasy 10 and 10 2 remaster bundle that is i think on like every console it's on ps4 including the switch yeah it's on switch i think it's also on game pass potentially oh wow i'll probably play it on switch i think there are a lot of final fantasies on game pass which kind of goes back to microsoft like going for that market in a big way yeah um I know 12, the Zodiac Age is on Game Pass, um, which is a great one. But um, anyway, 10, I think you're not alone in having that be your entry to the series because that was the first Final Fantasy on PS2 and it was the first Final Fantasy with voice acting Um, and it came out around the same time as Kingdom Hearts. So I feel like all of that happening at once, like a lot of people played 10, it seems like if you didn't play seven first, you played 10 first. Like usually like that. It feels like I had the biggest, like it was like the next entry point. I played 10 when it came out. I guess 10 came out in what? 2000 or 99. Um, Um, 10 came out in 2001. 2001 that's right kingdom hearts which you can very tell more on that later <laughs> uh but uh, i played 10 when it came out when i was 11 and i i remember having very fond memories of 10 as a kid i got up to the final final boss and then just like okay i'm done uh so like i never technically finished it but i played most of it yeah. I, I got the crux of final fantasy 10 Um, And I hadn't touched it in a long time. So, like, I just sort of had this positive memory of it. It's also one that can sometimes go either way for people. Like, it's, like, either your favorite and your first one, or, like, you hated it, which is common with Final Fantasy. That tends to happen a lot because they change so often. But I think if you have conversations about 10, like, most people land positively on it. But I really was excited to go back. It's been, like, 10 years. Um, I think I might have started a game, like... Sometimes, somewhat recently, but this is my first. Like, okay, I'm playing this. Let's do it. Yeah. And I decided to stream it, which has been so much fun. Yeah,
0: I've really enjoyed your streams of it. Um, Thank you. Because I, I think I think what you're capturing is the thing that a lot of people really liked about it was that it was like ex- it's an extremely lighthearted time. Um, I think I think it opens in kind of like a oh, oh is this going to be Final Fantasy Seven way? Um, in in that city with with the um oh my god, I just I just blanked on the name of the sport. What is the sport? Blitzball, baby. Yeah, with like the blitzball stuff. You know, and the, and the city gets destroyed and stuff. It's like oh this this kind of has like shades of final fantasy 7 and then becomes very much like almost with the bo- i think the box art is like weirdly the most like uh it, it is a really good indication of what that game's vibe is like <laughs> you know it, it's just it's just titus in the water just holding his big sword and he's like laughing I describe it as beach apocalypse. That's the subgenre I've given this game.
1: <laughs> you could tell Nomura just really wanted to go to the beach in 2001 between Final Fantasy X and Kingdom Hearts. There's yeah. a lot of beaches. So the, the reason um,
0: that I, I'm glad that we're talking about both of these simultaneously is that this is actually the or one of the last Final Fantasy games that Nobu Sakaguchi worked on before he left oh. and, then, and then started Mistwalker to like make his own games again. Interesting. Uh, he 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 worked on the the X games. That like he worked on the X games. Uh, he worked on. The, <laughs> Final Fantasy X games? Holy shit. Um, He he worked on on the 10 games um, and then also was like a a supervisor, I think, on 11, which was like their ill-fated MMO um, before eventually leaving and then uh, forming Mistwalker and making Blue Dragon.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, 12 was like a big change at Square, which is kind of like why the production of that game was so rocky and the reception initially was so mixed. Yeah, but Um, but a lot of
0: people see this game as like him handing off the franchise to like essentially the Kingdom Hearts like generation of of producers uh, at yes. square. Yes.
1: Yeah, I, I think like even though every Final Fantasy game is different, 10 definitely like transitioned the era between like the flashier 13, 15 stuff yes. and like the more traditional uh, I guess 1 through 9. I mean 1 through 9 is a whole other like I would say it's really like 1 through someone in the discord brought up how like 1 through 6 are like similar energy. I think I've even said that before. It's like mm-hmm. all about steampunk crystals uh, and then like 7, 8 and 9 are all very different but like you kind of know what you're getting in for. You know right. it's going to be turn based. You know it's going to be like a party. Uh, you know you can use potions. Some mm-hmm. familiarity. 10 is like right at like this kind of transitionary period between the two. Yes. Which is really fascinating. So things that 10 does great one the remaster lets you choose the array kind of like dragon quest 11 you can choose between the original or a new orchestral arranged soundtrack and like the arranged soundtrack has brought me to tears more than once already it is beautiful The, the soundtrack to this game is absolutely incredible dad rock boss fight aside the music in this game is incredible. And I think what FF10 does so well, I think it's not a coincidence we brought up the beaches before anything else. <laughs> yeah. The setting of this game is incredible. That's
0: really what sucked me in when I played this game, yeah.
1: The world building of Spira and the idea of So basically for those who are not familiar, I think it's based off of the South Pacific. So Like, it's a lot of islands, a lot of beaches, and it's in a world where modern technology is banned. So, like, everyone is kind of living in sort of, like, middle-age technology, but it's not, like, European Middle Ages. It's just sort of, like, island life, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. There is a faction of people called the Albed who use machina anyway, because they're like, hell yeah, this is kind of our religion, machinery, (laughs) Um, but that's a whole other episode. Yeah. But anyway the world of spira is this place where every so often there's this threat of sin which is a giant whale that just like it's basically godzilla it, it just destroys places and yeah they're basically the, the world of Spira is unified in this religion that is like kind of all about keeping sin at bay so like every so often sin comes back they choose a summoner who goes on this pilgrimage to stop sin And then they have like a few years of what they call the calm where sin is like no longer a threat, but they're kind of in constant fear. And what's really interesting is like. Kind of like Breath of the Wild, you know, there's this calamitous, post-calamitous setting that has still kind of found the beauty and just sort of the day-to-day existence of it. Yeah. Um, and everyone, you know, without modern technology and without, like, the hope that their village might just not be destroyed one day turns to religion and sports. Like, that's their whole vibe. <laughs> they love church and they love blitzball. They love church and football. There's actually a great moment, um, weirdly, with Titus, who I need to talk about in a second but titus and waka there's a really devastating scene it's like one of the first moments in the in the stream that i'm like really sucked back into the game uh two beautiful scenes back to back kind of sad though but the first scene is you watch sin destroy a village and it's like a five minute scene it's kind of relentlessly detailed like it's not just like an explosion and like you're like oh that's sad it's like you see people like getting pulled into a tornado and like you see how fast it goes from like kids playing blitz ball to sin showing up everything just being decimated and then leaving and it's it's really harrowing it's it's like really 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 scary and then later on you see a scene where yuna goes to the survivors of that village and performs ascending ritual where basically in the world of Spira, if you die and you don't have someone perform this ritual your soul kind of becomes stuck and could become a demon So you need to be sent and your spirit is kind of free to move on to the next realm. Um, They really play with that in a way where like dying kind of doesn't mean anything in this world, (laughs) but uh, it's a really beautiful and sad scene when like Una first performs that ritual um, and the whole party kind of watches in silence, including Titus. Yeah. uh, Which thank God he's quiet for a moment, but that's what this game does so well. The world building the approach at like how does religion give people faith but also what are the pitfalls and uh, dangers and evils in organized religion as well which the game goes into later. Mm. I don't know if it was intending to have any kind of like harsh commentary or anything but I just think like the world that's here is so fascinating and so beautiful to be in that you really get sucked up in it. And I do think the cast is good. I think that aaron is like one of my favorite Final Fantasy characters just like yeah a little too old to be there. I mean he's probably like 30 in the game, but like he's you know <laughs> scarred and got sunglasses and like a thing uh he's got like a barrel of uh sake on his waist. So cool. I love Lulu. I even love Waka who fights with the beach ball, how or blitz ball. How could you not like I him? love Waka. Yeah. Waka's great. Really in terms of the cast so, I remember when I first played it, I, like, thought Titus was fine. I didn't really think strongly of him either way. Um, and then, like, in recent years, I saw all this Titus hate, and I was like, leave him alone. I like Titus. Brendan, Titus is, like, the most I've had to put up with the protagonist in in a way that is actually fascinating. <laughs> so, like, he... I think it's kind of intentional because it begins... He's, like, the spoiled Blitzball celebrity. So, like, I do kind of enjoy that the game is, like, what if you took, like, someone who has only lived a life of luxury and threw them into this new world where they, like, have to actually, like, exist in a meaningful way? Yeah, like, give a shit. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, that that is interesting. And, I, and he has his moments, but, like, it's... <laughs> The two shades of Titus you get are him showing up at, at like a funeral, going like, "What is this? This is weird." It's like, <laughs> this, like <laughs> Titus's constant vibe is running into a room and saying the worst possible thing, yeah. <laughs> like the thing that everyone <laughs> is like afraid someone will say. Titus has got you. He's gonna say it. Um, and he, and like, what's so funny is he'll constantly, like the first thing he's told, he's saved by Riku in the albed and he's like, Hey Riku, you know, I'm kind of a blitzball star. I play for the Xanarchan Abes and Riku's like, Hey, don't tell people that because Xanarchan <laughs> was destroyed like 3000 years ago. It was like a very holy place. That's like saying like, you're you're citing like a global tragedy and, and people will be offended. So like, I don't care. I know you're going through a lot right now. We just fought a bunch of fish together, but like don't say that to anyone else. The first thing that happens <laughs> is he shows up at Passade, he sees Waka and the guys playing Blitzball, the Aurochs. He's like, Oh no, these are my people. And well, he kicks a blitzball back and Waka's like, Whoa, this guy's got it. Their relationship is actually great because Waka. It's revealed that he lost his little brother. Yeah. So, like, there's kind of, like, a fun sort of brotherly relationship between him and Waka. And, like... Uh, but the, anyway, the first thing Titus says to Waka is, like, I play for the Sarah games! <laughs> and they're all... And is also, like, especially religious, too. Yeah. He's, like, a religious jock. So... They eventually make up this thing where he's like, Oh, he got too close to sin, so it's just the sin toxins. And they like use that excuse as much as they possibly can. I, I, that's like one <laughs> of the things I remember about that game is how often they're like, uh, don't listen to him. He's he's got sin toxins. Right. Like Yuna will be sending the souls of the departed, and Titus is like, Yuna's pretty hot, isn't she? <laughs> like just daring it. And they're like, dude, the toxins will only get you so far socially. So you're getting that from Titus. Or you're getting these like holden caulfield narrations will he'd be like i went from the frying pan into the freezer you know and just like (laughs) he has this very strange narration um where those moments are actually kind of interesting because the game is sort of like almost noir-esque being narrated from the future like it opens in zanarkand but like destroyed zanarkand with the party that iconic shot and uh he goes listen to my story And it, you know, begins from there. So you're kind of hearing from like a little bit more of a grounded Titus who's like been in that world longer. So the narrating moments are actually kind of interesting, but like the voice acting for Titus, that dude is giving it his all for better and for worse. And like I am constantly wrestling with how I feel about him as a protagonist. Dude,
0: I've been I've been like so teetering on the edge of like when is gonna be the time that I go back and play Final Fantasy X again, and you're like really convinced me to do it. I'm I'm like Look, I'm playing. I'm playing a lot of RPGs simultaneously,
1: uh, and and why not throw another one on the pile? That's what I'm thinking. That's kind of all I had to say. I mean, the other thing I'll say about Final Fantasy X is that in terms of turn based combat, I love this game's approach. Um, It's it's honestly still one of the best ones because every character has a very unique role and feeling, and like. It's one of the first Final Fantasy games to really utilize the environment in a fun way, where, like, one of the first boss fights is you're fighting, like, you're just fighting the fin of Sin, you know, like, on a boat, and he's, like, swimming around the ship, yeah. and you have to, like, you know, seeing Waka throw the ball and, like, really feeling how far it has to go to hit yeah. and then bounce back. So much fun. And I think what I love is that, like, what also what Project Triangle does, that I think every turn-based game should do is they broadcast the turn order. It's so helpful. And I remember... A Lost Odyssey does that too. I meant to bring that up. Once you get farther into Final Fantasy X, there are some turns where you really have to like actually think for like 5 to 10 minutes about what your next move is. Yeah. Because like it, it, it really... It really becomes very strategic, and I just really love the ability, to to switch in party members, like, in and out. This is one of the first Final Fantasy games where you didn't have to have the protagonist in your party. So, like, if you just want to have, like, Kamari and Lulu hanging out, go for it. If Titus is too embarrassing to have in your party, you can just have him sit (laughs) on the sidelines. Ew! Is that a bug? (laughs) I realized it was a bug. (laughs) I should probably squish it. Anyway, um, yeah, I... I think Final Fantasy X still holds up pretty well. I think that, like, you know, the voice acting is silly, but it's kind of everything you want from a Final Fantasy game in the sense that you're getting, like, a lot of campiness that may be by accident, but you're getting a very colorful and joyful setting with that kind of high-stakes drama. Yeah, And those two things really complement each other. Um, I haven't played Blitzball yet. I'm so eager... To see if I still love Blitzball, because I loved it when I was thirteen. But I don't know <laughs> if I still do. Um Well, you're gonna have to report back on Blitzball. But I'm excited to see the stream. I think I think what is it, your next stream that you're doing, you're gonna run into Blitzball. I think so, yeah. But yeah, I'm gonna keep streaming it. I will maybe we'll bring it up again if you revisit it. But I, I really love ten. I think it's like I don't know where it lands for me in terms of like my favorites, but it's definitely in like the top the top third, I would say, of yeah. Final Fantasy Games. And the the HD is, is great. I also enjoyed Ten Two. 2. I didn't play a lot of it, but like if you go into Ten Two, 2 really knowing that like it's its own game and not really like uh the similar energy like at all. It's like more of like a Charlie's Angels spin off. Yeah. Um you'll have a good time. And I do think as a sequel, we talked about Ten Two 2 a while ago, but one of the things I really loved was like Kind of like the Kaim story where he, this ritual has become like Mardi Gras. Xanarkin becomes like a tourist spot in two, and Yuna's like, how could you do this? So this is like where all my friends died. Yeah, like, horrifying. you can't just take pictures. But anyway, ten, great game. Uh, why don't we wrap up? And uh, this was a lot of fun, though. I, I'm so excited for you to go back to ten and see how you feel yeah, I, I think, like, literally, as soon as we're done recording, I'm like, start <laughs> know what's wrong with me.
0: Yeah, I don't know. You want to just make this a quick wrap up? We could just say thanks, and we'll we'll catch you later.
1: I realize I should tell all my friends that I'll see them next week, but I didn't realize that I'm actually recording this before it comes out. I might think differently later bye thank you all so much for listening to the podcast we love you into the cast out online is all our links we'll be back next week uh we're recording our bonus for this month about our favorite game soundtrack soon i'm very excited for that and yeah we'll see you all soon goodbye bye